Welcome to Sistery History, the podcast where we two sisters discuss a historical event or experience from a sensory perspective. This means we'll focus on sight, sounds, smells, tastes and touch. I'm big sister Laura. And I'm little sister Caroline. In each episode, we'll take a few historical sources and have a light-hearted chat about them. Hopefully this will be interesting, perhaps thought-provoking, but mainly we want to keep things fun and accessible. Caroline, it's a sad day. Oh no, what's happened? It's the last episode of the season. (gasps) Oh, but it's a good one. That's true. And it's a joyous one because we're doing festivals. We're going out on a bang. Yeah, it's going to be good. The original Roman calendar had only 10 months, starting with March and ending with December. It went through a few evolutions, two extra months were added, and then Julius Caesar introduced a 365-day year, but the norm of an eight-day week continued for a few more centuries. Unlike us, the Romans didn't really have the concept of a weekend, and instead relied on ferii, or festivals, to provide breaks from work and education. As many as 135 festival days were being observed by the second century CE, and that's two to three per week. So plenty of opportunities for fun, frolics and sausage selling. And if the sources are to be believed, giant phalluses meandering around the city. Interesting. So do any of today's sources mention the giant phalluses? They do not. Sad. I know, we're keeping it classy, but I'm sure we will touch on them at some point. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> Fine, who have we got then? Firstly, the Fasti Antiates Maiores, which is a visual source, which you will explain to us. We have Plutarch, a Greek philosopher writing in the first century CE. Although he is a Greek philosopher, he did become a Roman citizen. And also Ovid, a new entry. Ovid was a Roman poet born in the first century BCE. He was writing during the reign of Augustus. And actually, he was banished by Augustus. Uh, Yes, so he was probably banished due to a combination of some racy poetry and some scandalous behaviour. Good old Ovid. I know. I'll start then, because your lovely intro there leads very nicely into my first source, which is this beautiful plaster calendar. It dates from 84 to 55, somewhere in between BCE. I'm just going to describe it to the listeners, but I'm showing Laura a picture of it. It is beautiful. Isn't it lovely? I can validate that. Just a note for the listeners, if you can't quite follow the description, then we will provide photos. The calendar is painted directly onto the plaster, probably of civic buildings, public buildings. Okay, so might there be one in the forum? Probably not the forum, but in a public building nearby. Okay. Not everyone would have one of these in their house. So it's not like having your flippy calendar in the kitchen. Not your David Hasselhoff or your Cliff Richard calendar that you get every Christmas. Yeah, okay. This particular example is just over a metre high by two and a half metres wide. That's pretty big. It's huge. This is why people didn't have them in their houses. I'm not sure I'd want that much Cliff Richard looking right down on me. (laughs) The size of it, I've kind of likened to a doorway in your average house. Mm -hmm. But imagine that the doorway goes all the way up to the ceiling and also flipped on its side. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. There are 13 rows. That's for the 12 months of the year, plus the intercalaris month. Now, the intercalaris month is something they threw in every other year to make the years make sense because... It got out of whack. They were working on a lunar calendar. Mm. 
before Julius Caesar introduced the solar calendar. This particular example, you can see that the months of the year are across the top and then the subsequent days of the year underneath the corresponding month. We've got some different colours going on. Yeah. The red is where we get the term red letter day from. No, is it? Yes. So the red letters are every ninth day and that denotes a market day. The thing is, I don't think people used these as a reference. It was very much a civic thing, something that a governmental body would handle. So you're saying that the dates and, and the events that would be on there would be related to the civic aspects of life and not people would have them in their homes to think about, oh, well, whose birthday is it in May? And you know, when am I going out for drinks with Quintus? That's absolutely correct. But as you can see, it's a very, very busy visual source. There's mm. lots going on. And as you mentioned, there are so many festival days throughout the year. You can very plainly see this. So are the red entries just the market days or are they other things as well? There are extra red notations on this calendar mm -hmm. and they mark out the festival days. Okay. I want to focus on two things, really. One, the fact that you wouldn't have this in your house. My point is there was so much going on, you could know where you were in the year without actually having to have a calendar of your own. Oh, right. Because you could just know that, oh, it was the Lemuria yesterday, so therefore we're going to have a festival day tomorrow as well. You know, that kind of thing. Yeah. There was so much going on. There was so much packed into the year. So that they were sort of reference points for people. Correct. They're reference points for the average Joe. Secondly, in the old Roman calendar, there were only 10 months in the year. And then they added two more. So actually, what I want to focus on is March. Okay. Because March, if you look at this picture, Laura. And we'll put this in the show notes we and on Instagram, in don't worry. March is the New Year celebration, uh -huh. which is the festival of Anna Perenna. Anna, we get the word annual from Anna, Perenna. Perennial. Perennial, exactly. So she was a very old Roman goddess who essentially represents the new year, as I said. Ovid tells us that the Romans would celebrate her festival at the first milestone on the Via Flaminia in a lovely scented sacred grove to the oh, goddess. That sounds very nice. Very much an outdoor festival. Mm. So March, you kind of think the weather's turning into something a bit warmer, a bit nicer, mm. almost like a spring festival. You can see why they made that the beginning of the year, because it's the rebirth. The year has started anew. Mm -hmm. It's spring. Everything is growing. Good point. The Anna Perenna Festival was celebrated with girlfriends. People would dance, sing, play games and camp out, put up tents near this sacred grove. And this is what reminds me of our new year. You would drink as many cups of wine as years that you want to live. No, really? That's a lot of wine. That is a lot of wine. Well, depending on... How big are your cups? Oh, I don't know. What, 175 mil? 125? Yeah, let's say 175 mil. Okay, so medium. So say you want to live 80, <laughs> 80 cups of wine. Are you, are you taking into account the years that you've already lived? So if you were 20, would you be drinking 60 more? It's a dangerous say. game either way. Isn't yeah, it? I think I would have lost count somewhere after 25. <laughs> it's very much a joyful festival. There are sacrifices and prayers, very popular, merry, because you're celebrating the, the new year after the drudgery of winter. You've got spring, you've got life, you've got wine, you're out with your girlfriend, you're camping outside. And I was thinking, you know, when you're outside, wine tastes different or drinks taste different. Ooh, yeah, that's why people love a beer garden. 
That's why people love a beer and garden. And a barbecue. Exactly. So there would be a very specific atmosphere and taste associated with this festival. Mm. The drinking outside, I think, makes a huge difference and makes it more memorable for people. Yeah, I can see that. I mean, I want to get involved already. <laughs> How many cups of wine would you drink? <laughs> what I've done, I've been a bit naughty, actually, here, haven't I? Because I've used a visual source and then I've really focused in on one of the festivals. But I just wanted to point out because my visual source is a calendar and you're kind of thinking, why is New Year in March in the middle of the calendar? Yes. That's why. And I also wanted to talk about 80 cups of wine. It's an interesting point. I think I'll, I'll let you off. So I've kind of covered the visual of this huge plaster calendar and how busy it is and how many festivals there are going on and how imposing this must have been, actually, which is why you wouldn't want one in your house and you actually couldn't. Mm. And then the taste association of the Anna Perenna Festival actually celebrated on the Ides of March. Ooh. Unlucky for some. Yes. Hello, Caesar. But let's focus on the more jolly aspect of the Ides of March. The Ides are the middle of the month. I don't think we mentioned that. 13th, 14th, 15th-ish of the month. Each month, yeah. Yes. And they did actually celebrate something on most of the Ides, from my research. Yeah, it's a great time of the month. Yeah. <laughs> As we mentioned there, lots of Roman festivals are connected to agriculture, the cycle of the moon and the stars and the lunar years. Because remember, Rome started off as an agricultural centre. And that makes sense why so many of their festivals are connected to agriculture and fertility, New Year, spring, celebrating the seasons. You can tie them all back to those agricultural roots. Over time, the state took over much of the celebrating of these festivals because as Rome became more industrialised, you don't need the fertility festivals in the farm because not everyone has a farm. You know, it's a city now. So the landscape's changed. Sorry, that was a bad pun. <laughs> I liked it. They were still observed, but probably not individually they're observed by the state on behalf of the people okay however some festivals much as this one still were celebrated by people individually as well because okay. why wouldn't you want to pitch a tent and drink a hell of a lot of wine in the sun <laughs> i know sounds perfect well i found that really interesting i did not know that the calendars were that large can't fit one of those on your phone can you certainly can't okay next i'll do ovid from Fasti Book 5, and I'm going to talk to you about the Floralia Festival, oh. which is held on the 3rd of May. And the sense that I want to focus on is sight. Why is it when white robes are for the goddess series, the goddess Flora is neatly dressed in a host of colours? Is it because the harvest's ripe when the ears are white, but flowers are of every colour and splendour? Flora nods and flowers fall as her hair flows, like roses fall when they're scattered on a table. Regarding the torches that are all around, but whose reason escaped me, the goddess dispelled my ignorance like this. Torches are thought fitting for my feast day because the fields glow with crimson flowers and because flowers and flames aren't dull in colour and the splendour of them attracts the eye and because the licence of night suits my delights. And this third reason's nearest to the truth. So, 
Flora sounds beautiful. Isn't it a beautiful image? Rainbow the, flowers. I know. I love the image of her nodding and flowers falling from her hair. Rather than dandruff. Rather than dandruff. It's, it's preferable. So in this, Ovid is talking to Flora and asking questions about the festivals. And Flora is answering and explaining some of the aspects. He was saying that he, he didn't understand why the torches were there. But Flora responds and talks about torches being appropriate because the fields glow with crimson flowers and flowers and flames are bright and they are splendid and they attract the eye. So there's a very vibrant feeling about this source. It's not necessarily about normal people enjoying the festival and understanding the senses that they went through, but it's certainly pulling on the image of the colours, the flames, and it talks about the licence of night suiting Flora's delights. What does that mean? Well, the torches obviously would have been very helpful in celebrating festivals at night because they guide the way but I understand that the Floralia could be a rather racy celebration oh yes and that's what Ovid's referring to here and we know that Ovid obviously likes a little bit of a nod to scandal and debauchery so he's playing to type there he likes to tread a fine line doesn't he he really does yeah, yeah. So the Floralia Festival was a spring festival celebrating fertility, focusing on the goddess Flora and the cycle of life and birth and death. Um, A little bit linked to agriculture as well, as you've alluded to there, a lot of the festivals were. It lasted quite a long time, actually. There were about five or six days worth of celebrations in the calendar and there was lots of colour associated Mm. with it. So a lot of the sources talk about colourful clothes as well as the flowers. So rather than white togas... People are dressed up in lots of vibrant colours. There's garlands everywhere. There are wreaths of flowers. I bet it smelled great. It probably did smell great, actually. All of those beautiful floral... fresh-cut flowers. Yeah. The aspects that came to life for me reading that extract were the colour and the vibrancy of the just real depth, intensity of colour. So often we think of Rome as just marble and white. We do. And it's nice to have it brought into vivid technicolour. I mentioned that it could be a bit of a racy. You did. um, Celebration or it certainly had a racy reputation. There were often naked performances. Of what? (laughs) Well, people performing skits. What do you mean? Just (laughs) jokes? Not naked. But because it's floralia. Yeah. We take our clothes off. We take our clothes off for Floralia. Right. There were strip teasers by sex workers, apparently. Tightrope walking elephants. Not naked. <laughs> well, elephants don't tend to wear clothes. Sometimes they wear one of those little jackets. Don't That's they? true. Maybe, a, maybe, maybe a, hat. a hat. But I think it's less shocking if the elephant's naked. <laughs> There's actually, to be fair, there is only one instance of the tightrope walking elephant. I mean, it's enough, isn't it? It is enough. There were strippers, there was naked theatre, naked dancing. Forgive to me. To answer I, your question. So yeah. I don't really understand the connection between nakedness and flowers. Fertility. Oh, Fertility, sorry. Fertility, the circle of life, the cycle of birth and death and, you yes. know, all that jazz. You're born naked. You're born naked. You need to be naked to achieve certain things. No, you don't. <laughs> Some people think it's nice to be. <laughs> and, in fact, an interesting point. Today's May Day celebrations are thought to have some link to the Floralia. Oh. And... The maypole phallus. Oh, come on. What? It's just a stick. Well, it's a big stick. Oh, Morris dancers are naked. No, they're not. (laughs) 
Anyway, anyway, I think I've said enough. <laughs> I think you have. I'm going to exile you like Ovid. Oh. I mean, Should sure. we continue with racy Ovid then? Go on. I want to talk about the Lemuria. The Lemuria is a festival celebrated 9th, 11th, 13th of May. Yes. Because even days were unlucky. Are they? I did not know that. Which is very strange because you would think it's the opposite nowadays, wouldn't yeah. you? Here I want to consider sound. And I'm going to be reading Ovid's Fasti 5, 429 to 44. At midnight, when there is a deep silence and dogs and all birds are quiet, the head of the house, who keeps the old rites in mind and fears the gods, gets up, having nothing to bind their feet, and makes a sign with their thumb in the middle of their closed fingers, in case in the silence a ghost should meet them. When they have washed their hands clean in spring water, they turn and are given black beans, which they throw away with their face averted. While they throw the beans, they say, I send these and with them I redeem myself and my family. They say this nine times without looking back. The ghost is thought to collect the beans and follow behind unseen. The head of the family then washes their hands and clashes together a bronze symbol, asking the ghost to leave the house. When they have said nine times, ghosts of my fathers leave, they look back and believed that they have performed the sacred rite appropriately. A lot going on there. A lot going on. This is celebrated in May. It's a festival to honour, or more likely placate, the Lemures. And the Lemures are restless ghosts, restless spirits of the dead. Okay. Maybe died violently, maybe committed suicide, maybe had an untimely death. Somehow they are not at rest. So they're sort of wandering in purgatory or something and in between. It's a liminal state and coming back to disrupt the lives of the living. Okay. They're thought to wander the earth at this time. On these days. On these specific days. Yeah. Now, what are they doing on the 12th <laughs> and the 14th? This is what I want to know. <laughs> oh, that's fine. I mentioned at the beginning here, so you're not supposed to be wearing any knots or buckles. On or shoes. Or shoes. On these three days. No, when you're performing this specific oh, rite. okay. So the head of family gets up in the middle of the night and performs this ritual. You're not supposed to be wearing shoes at this time or any knots because that's unlucky. Knots are unlucky. Knots are unlucky. Shoes aren't unlucky. But they're binding, you see. Okay. And so it's about binding yes. versus freedom. Yes, exactly. I'm with you. Yeah. These rites are performed privately by each household, but they were also, as I kind of mentioned before, performed publicly on behalf of the whole state and to cleanse the public buildings as well as cleanse your own house mm -hmm. from these naughty spirits running around on the 9th, 11th and 13th of May. It's a purification festival in essence, isn't it? it happens at night. It's all quiet. Yes, it's quite eerie. It is eerie, isn't mm. it? And there's absence of sound as well. You get up in the middle of the night where it's all quiet. Yeah. Don't put your shoes on. No. Then you walk around. Pliny tells us that the souls of the dead were contained in beans. Okay. Hence the beans. You've got to throw these beans over your shoulder without looking. And then the ghost is kind of, oh, I can't haunt you because I've got beans. I'll take the beans instead and leave. Is there a soul of someone in every bean? Yeah. Wow. But you don't know who, so if you bought a tin of beans... Think how many souls you've consumed over the years. What? So if the souls of the dead are contained in beans, you offer the beans perhaps to keep the Lemures or these restless souls from harming the living members of the family. Because they are satisfied with the beans. They're satisfied with beans. Mm -hmm. 
as a substitute. If only everyone was so easily pleased. Right. <laughs> Breaking the silence, you've got the crash of the gong at the end. Yeah. You've also got the sound of the beans hitting the floor, being thrown over your shoulder. And then you've got the calling out of these very specific words and a very specific number of times. Mm -hmm. It's the magic three, isn't it? Divisible by three. You say it three times or you say it nine times. Yeah. I don't know why it's three, but it always does seem to be mm. three. Yeah, it's a common one. Two doesn't work. No. Not enough. Three, perfect. The other thing that's mentioned in this extract is the manofico, which is the sign of good luck that they did with their hand. So you do... Like a fist. Like a bit like a fist with a thumb in the middle. Yeah. And it's called the manofico because it looks like a fig. Fico means fig. Ah. Uh, let, let's consider the sound here, the silence, and then the very, very much not silence of crashing a huge gong in the middle of the night probably waking everyone up, but also the added benefit of scaring these ghosts away mm. from your house. Then your household is cleansed and you can go back to relaxing. If I was a kid, I would definitely try and stay awake so that I could watch this happening. Your dad throwing a tin of baked beans over his shoulder. I wonder if, if you were a little child, you believed that there were restless spirits around, you know, because I... Yeah, of course. It's a bit like Halloween, isn't it? Yeah. Um, you know, thinking like monsters under your bed. Much more real if you're a child. Yeah. The other point here is you have to perform the rites correctly. We mentioned this on the funerals episode, that if you didn't bury someone and give them the correct rites, then the ghost could come back and haunt you. So it's all about doing it correctly. Okay. If you just said it two times, no, 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 no. Not good. If you had your slippers on? No, Absolutely no, no. Absolutely not. Okay. <laughs> I'll finish off today then with our fourth source, and that is Plutarch. I will be reading from the life of Caesar, 61, 1 to 4. And this is about the Lupercalia festival, and the sense that I'll be talking about is touch. The Lupercalia was then celebrated, a feast belonging, some writers say, to the shepherds, Many young noblemen and magistrates run up and down the city with their garments off, striking all they meet with strips of leather by way of sport. And many women, even of the highest rank, place themselves in the way and hold out their hands to the lash, out of a belief that it procures an easy labour to those who are with child. You do like talking about naked people, don't you? <laughs> well, you raise an interesting point, because when I was researching the festivals, nakedness came up a lot as did sex workers. Right. Yeah, so sex workers are specifically mentioned in the celebrations for the Floralia, the Robigalia, and the Vinalia. The Robigalia is one of my favourites, actually. Isn't that the one about mould? I did not know that. I've written down agriculture. <laughs> so I think the Robigalia is a festival to ward off blight or mould on your oh, crops. Oh, in your crops. Okay, so that makes sense with the agriculture. Don't really understand why everyone's naked. No, and why the sex workers like it so no. much. I mean, it's nice, you know, it's very inclusive. Yeah, I mean, nobody likes mould or damp. Yeah, fine. Anyway, back to the extract. We have the Lupercalia Festival, which obviously links to fertility. We've got nakedness, tick. We have got... When is this, sorry? When is this being celebrated? Oh, the Lupercalia is celebrated on the 15th of February. So, Ides. Valentine's Day. Yeah, linked to Valentine's Day. Naked, tick. Yeah, there we go. So apparently the nakedness did decrease over time. So some of the sources will say that these chaps are running around naked. Some of them say with some garments off. And then apparently later on, they'd be fully clothed, sadly. 
Well, it is a bit chilly in February. I suppose so. There's a superstitious element to this. The extract says here that there are noblemen and magistrates running up and down the city with their clothes off, hitting people with bits of leather. Completely normal. Standard. (laughs) The leather strips that they're hitting people with are usually coming from goats that have been sacrificed earlier on during the festival. Some sources say that the men who were doing the running around would actually wear some of the goat hides as well. So you've got naked or semi-naked men, potentially dressed as goats, yeah, probably a bit bloody, running around hitting people with bits of leather. To make them have a successful birth. Yes. We might think it preferable to avoid a bloody goat-clad, semi-naked man running towards us, trying to hit us with... Well, I don't know what you did last Valentine's <laughs> Day, but... It certainly wasn't that. But the Roman ladies would actively try and get in the way because of the superstition that would aid them in childbirth. And especially if you think about that time in history, things like childbirth and labour were very dangerous Another thing that happened was men would pick a lady's name from a jar and you'd go and get your rocks off with them for the duration of the festival. Excuse me, what? Yes, it would be a bit like maybe a swingers party when you'd put your keys in a bowl. Oh my goodness. I know. Um, And sometimes people who, shall we say, coupled in this way might even stay together in the long term. So it wasn't just a kind of orgy type scenario, but it could lead into a more long lasting relationship. Well, that's nice. Isn't it nice? It's a bonding, uniting festival, a festival of love, a bit like Valentine's Day. Yeah, it is a festival of love of sorts, isn't it? People don't do this anymore with Valentine's Day, but back in my day, you (laughs) used to send anonymous Valentines, didn't you, to people that you kind of liked? Yeah. But now people just send them and sign their name at the bottom. That's not the point of Valentine's Day. It's all about picking the keys out the bowl. I think you made it sound very nice there. It's a festival of love. Very true. But I think one thing to point out, the Plutarch extract that I read there, it comes from the life of Caesar. And earlier on in that extract, we find out that this is all happening as Caesar is actually watching on. He's sat in a golden throne and Mark Antony is one of the people who's running around half naked. (laughs) Mark Antony's dressed as a goat, naked and whipping some women. Yes, and he was consul for that year, I believe. So you've got top-end magistrates involved in this. So it's not a seedy nighttime festival rite that's being done in the shadows. This is full-on in the daytime. Everyone can see... This is the equivalent of Matt Hancock running through the streets of London, dressed as a goat, naked, whipping women, with Rishi Sunak watching on. But yeah, that's the sort of thing. We're talking top-end magistrates who've been part of the Senate. These are the people in power. So it's been going on all through history. (laughs) Sexy goat antics. It doesn't say anything about whether these magistrates partook in the names in a jar. If I know Mark Antony. Mm Mm-hmm. So, Laura, do you have a favourite couple of festivals from the 135 million? There are some really fun sounding ones and there are some that sound a little bit more niche. Of course, we have to come back to the giant phallus. So that was used during the Liberalia Festival on the 17th of March. And it was a festival about freedom, as the name suggests, Liberalia. So freedom from evils and burdens and cares. That was somehow linked to the giant phallus that was paraded. I think the parade started out of the city and then ended up in the city. Yeah, I'd like to see that. (laughs) (laughs) There's a theme with your extracts today, Laura. (laughs) We have the Ludi Serialis, or the Seralia. 
another agricultural based festival. So that was about harvest and grain. Apparently that featured the release of foxes. I will just caveat this with I don't approve of any cruelty to animals, but a release of foxes who had lit torches on their tails. But um, the image was striking. I know the Parilia Festival includes leaping through fire. That's fun. So fire really is a big feature, isn't it? I guess it's a kind of cleansing activity, isn't it? Fire. So the key themes we're getting here are nakedness, fertility, (laughs) fertility, fire, agriculture. There are so many festivals that we recognise today, aren't there? The equivalent of Mother's Day, Christmas, Easter, New Year's, like we said. Mm. Then you do get the more obscure ones, like foxes being set on fire. Yes. And I have a favourite, which is the Quinquatria. And what happened then? In the Quinquatria, the flutes used in religious festival are blessed, which is quite nice. There was a similar one, actually. The trumpets were also cleansed and blessed. How would one cleanse a trumpet? Is it just, you know, you're giving it a wipe down? A wipe down. Yeah. But you're celebrating the trumpets. This is actually to celebrate the start of the army campaigning season. Okay. Yeah. The other part of festivals, which we haven't really focused on, is the... You kind of did there, but the animal sacrifice. Yes. I didn't want to talk so much about this and make it a focus of the podcast. But if anyone does want to know a little bit more about this side of things, then there's a great paper that you can read by Candice Weddell, written in 2013. It's called The Sensory Experience of Blood Sacrifice in Roman Imperial Court. It's something that we haven't talked about, but is interesting. Just the amount of animal sacrifice that went on. Mm. You think about it and you think it just went away. But where did the waste go? The smell of blood lingering on Mm. on stone. The size of these animals. I mean, there's one festival where they burn 31 pregnant cattle. Wow. The smell of that permeating through the city. Awful. What do you do with all of these animals? Where do you store all these animals? It's a huge logistical nightmare, really. Mm. But anyway, so as I mentioned, we're we're not going to depth here. But if you would like to know more, then Candace Weddell's paper is a good place to start. Okay, good tip. We'll put the details in the show notes. One other thing to mention, because there are so many festivals, at various points, the state got together and abolished a few. What, just the more rubbish ones? ones. Yeah, and the ones that. that maybe weren't relevant anymore. They were mm. like, for God's sake, there are so... When is anyone doing any darn work? <laughs> yeah. Can got... people put their clothes on, please? Put your clothes on. Put that fox out. <laughs> We've got to keep a curb on this. So they would randomly get together and either reduce the amount of celebrating or get rid of a festival altogether and just be like, mm. come on. Oh, I'd like to be on that committee. What's the, fun? the non-fun committee? No, no, just... Oh, all right, fine. <laughs> You're having too much fun, we're scrapping it. Oh, I walked into that one. Shall we? Shall we? Okay. I have a quiz for you, if you like. Please. Okay, today you've got four questions, Caroline. Are you ready? I am. Question one. What calendar was introduced in 45 BC and brought in the 365-day year? I know this. This is the Julian calendar. Very good. One point. Question two. In which month was the Liberalia celebrated? And that's the one with the giant phallus, because I just have to keep mentioning it. Mind in the gutter. (laughs) Giant phalluses were running around in February? Nearly March. Oh. Mm -hmm. 
Which animal was commonly sacrificed during the Lupercalia festival? So I feel like Luper means wolf, but I don't think they would have sacrificed wolves, would they? Do you remember I was talking about... Foxes. What people were dressed in. So this was the... <gasps> oh, goats, goats. Yes, well done. Two points out of three so far, doing well. Question four. Which modern day festival was cancelled after guests had actually started arriving and saw its creator found guilty of defrauding investors and sentenced to six years in jail? Uh, is it the fire? Is it called Fire Festival? Yes, well done. The Fire Festival from 2017. I haven't seen the documentary, but apparently oh, it's very good. Oh, my word. You should watch it. It's hilarious. Okay, I know what I'm doing later. Well, you got three out of four, which is very good. 75%. <laughs> right, I've totted up your quiz scores quickly from this entire series. Drum roll. 21 out of 37.5. What's that as a percentage? 56. Oh. So not great. Right. Must do better. Must do better. And I will. Good. Thank you for joining us for this season of Sistery History. We hope you enjoyed learning about the ancient Romans with us. Yes, thank you very much, everyone. We're going to have a little bit of a break, but in the interim, we will be doing some mini bonus episodes. So watch out for those. We'll keep you posted on Instagram and Twitter. Do tell your friends and family if you've enjoyed the season. And if you have the time, leave us a little review to help us get noticed. We'll miss you very much, but we'll be back soon. Don't worry. See you soon. Bye. Bye.